First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, do you turn with me to Acts chapter 11 as we continue walking verse by verse together this year through the book of Acts. Uh, We're going to start today just by reading the passage uh, together from the Word of God. I want to ask you to stand today as we honor the reading of of God's Word. Uh, If you don't have a a Bible, the words will be on the screen uh, behind me as we read. Let's listen to these words together. Acts 11, beginning in verse 19. The Word of God says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came... And had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word today, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Father, we need to hear today a word from you. Lord, would you speak to those right now who are listening, uh, who are joining us on our iCampus, listening on the radio. Father, those who are present in this room today, speak to every one of our hearts. Change us, transform us now, we pray by your Word. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we know that God loves all of his children, that he loves every one of the local churches around this world that bear uh, the name of Christ. But out of all of those churches that uh, Christ loves, if I had to pick my favorite church in all the world, the church that is nearest to my heart, it would be this church. Uh, First Baptist Church of Melbourne. Now, I, I believe that every pastor should feel that way about the church that uh, they pastor. But if you know a little bit about my story, you know that, that my love for this church goes way before uh, I was ever called to serve here uh, as, uh, as a pastor. Um, this is the church where I grew up from the time that I was a boy. Uh, this is the church that shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me. This is the church where I was saved and baptized, the, the church where I was called into ministry when I was in the youth ministry of our church here. Uh, this is the church where my wife heard the gospel and was saved, the church where uh, many of the members of her family and the members of my family heard about Jesus and came uh, to know the Lord. And so it, it is still amazing to me, even after all of these 
ears that in God's good and sovereign plan, uh, he has uh, allowed for me to pastor here at my favorite church in, in all the world. Uh, you know, when you look at the churches in the New Testament, there's a lot of local churches that are mentioned by name in the New Testament. Think about some of the ones we know, right? The church at Philippi, uh, the church at Thessalonica, the church at, at Jerusalem, all of these churches. If you had to pick a favorite church in the pages of the New Testament, you can do a lot worse than choosing the church that we're talking about today, the church at Antioch. This just might be my favorite church in the Bible, the church at Antioch. Uh, you know, in the book of Acts, there are really two churches that are, that are kind of like launching pads or, or ministry bases where the gospel goes out. One is the church at Jerusalem. That was the, 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 where the first church was, right? Where the church was born in Acts chapter 2. It had a huge impact. And then there's this church, the church at Antioch. We're going to talk about this a little more later on, but this was the church that would send out the Apostle Paul and Barnabas as missionaries and church planters all over the world. This was Paul's home church. This was the church that the Apostle Paul came back to after each of his missionary journeys to give a report about the things that God had done. And so this church had an amazing impact on the world. In verse 19, we find out that this church got started because of persecution. And we read about that back in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. After a man named Stephen was martyred, he was stoned to death because of preaching about the Lord Jesus. And after that happened, persecution began to increase in Jerusalem. And many of the disciples were scattered all over the region. We saw that in Acts 8, how because they were scattered outside of Jerusalem, uh, churches got started. They began to share the gospel in Samaria. And a lot of churches were started there. But what we read here is that they went even further away from Jerusalem than Samaria. Uh, they began to make their way up the uh, Phoenician coast. Uh, they went out to the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea. They went all the way up to this city called Antioch that was 300 miles to the north of Jerusalem. And because they went here, because they planted a church here, uh, this church had an amazing impact. Uh, here's a map of the city of Antioch and where it's located. You can see the city of Jerusalem down in the bottom right. And again, Antioch, 300 miles to the north. The island of Cyprus is there uh, off to the left. This city of Antioch was located 18 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea on the banks of the Orontes River, and it was a hugely important city. It was actually the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. Right after the city of Rome and the city of Alexandria came Antioch. It had about a half a million people in it. It was the place where the Romans had their governor located for this whole province, the province of Syria. It was a wealthy city, a cosmopolitan city. It had a diverse population. People from all over the world lived there. Antioch had an aqueduct. It had theaters. It had temples to many different Roman gods. It had a grand colonnade that ran down the middle of town with marble stones that had been paid for by Herod the Great. It was a city that was famous for its chariot races, for its Olympic-style games, but it was also famous for its lax morals. And one person called it the Las Vegas of the ancient world. But John Stott has said this, quote, no more important place 
could be imagined. No more appropriate place could be imagined as the venue of the first truly international church or as the springboard for the worldwide mission of the church than the city of Antioch. And so as we think today about uh, this church in Antioch that was used by God in such a mighty way, such an incredible way, the word that comes to mind when I think about this church is the word missional. This was a church that was on mission. Uh, This was not a church uh, that was just uh, an institution. This was not a church that was just trying to sit around and and kind of maintain the status quo and, and hunker down. No, this was a church that was getting after it. This was a church that was joining in with what God was doing, his mission in the world. This is a church I believe that we would all want, First Baptist Church of Melbourne, to increasingly look like in the years to come. And so as we walk through these verses, I want us to think about the qualities that made the church of Antioch a missional church. First off, we can learn from from the church at Antioch that a missional church is a gospel-sharing church. We already said that this church was formed because people came there and shared the gospel there. But but as it says at the end of verse 19, at first, the Jewish Christians uh, who made up this church were only sharing with other Jewish people. Uh, It says they preached the word to no one but to Jews only. Now, that may sound strange to our ears. We may wonder, well, why did they do that? Why didn't they tell everybody about Jesus? But we need to remember that at this point in the early history of the church, the church was almost entirely made up of Jews everywhere in the world. Uh, There had only been a handful of Gentiles who had even been saved at this point, right? The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, Cornelius' family that we talked about the last couple of weeks, but that's it. So everybody else in the church was Jewish, and so it didn't even occur to them to share with anybody other than Jews. After all, it was the Jewish people who were waiting for the Messiah to come. And so their message to the Jewish people was very simple. Your Messiah has come, and his name is Jesus, and let me introduce you to them, and, and so, or to him. And, and so as they thought about the Gentiles who were living in Antioch, in their minds, the Gentiles were a few steps further removed from being ready to respond to Jesus. They had a totally different worldview. They were worshiping false gods in the temples there in Antioch. And so that's probably part of the reason why they didn't share with the Gentiles around them. Uh, But another part of the reason may have been that perhaps they had the same bias, the same prejudice in their heart that the Lord had just had to confront the apostle Peter about. Perhaps that's why they didn't share with the Gentiles because they didn't want to share with the Gentiles. And so at this point, the church in Antioch is growing, but it's entirely made up of Jewish people. But then look at verse 20 and what happens next. It says, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. So what happened is that some other Jewish Christians moved to Antioch, some from that island of Cyprus, some from North Africa and Cyrene. And when these guys got to town, when they got to Antioch, they were willing to begin sharing Jesus with the Gentiles who live there. The word in that verse, Hellenists, is a word that's used in, in, in different ways in the book of Acts to refer to Greek-speaking people. But here the context clearly shows that it refers to Gentiles who were living in Antioch, who spoke the Greek language. 
Now, we do not know why these particular people from Cyprus and Cyrene were willing to start sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. Some people have called them mavericks or daring spirits, and that's okay. But what I see as I read this is that they didn't think anything of what they were doing. They didn't think they were doing some crazy revolutionary thing. I think they just thought Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's our Savior, and He's their Savior too. And so we're just going to start telling them about Jesus. And that's what they did. And when they started telling them about Jesus, a lot of Gentiles started getting saved. Look at verse 21. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Of course, we know the real cause why so many Gentiles started putting their faith in Jesus because of what it says in the first part of that verse. The hand of the Lord was with them. Right? It is the Lord who saves. It's not we who save. It's the Lord who saves by his sovereign power, by his good pleasure. And so he chose to work in this incredible way in the city of Antioch. But, but I think we see in these verses a few reasons why perhaps God chose to work in such an unusually powerful way through the people of this particular church. I think one of those reasons is that, again, they share Jesus with all people. These believers from Cyprus and Cyrene, it seems like they didn't have any racial bias at all towards the Gentiles. They shared with them just like they share with everybody else. And we must be the same way. You know, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, haven't we? And here it is in our text again. We can't have any groups of people that we write off that we look at as being beneath us or whatever else. We need to love all people. And we need to share Jesus with all people. And when we do that, Lord willing, we can see the same thing here. A great number of people in Melbourne turning to the Lord. Another thing to notice about the way they shared the gospel is that they shared the gospel in a way that anybody could understand. Notice it says in verse 20 that when they went to the Gentiles, they were, quote, preaching the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say that they shared about Jesus as the Christ, which means the Messiah, because uh, to the pagans who were living in Antioch, the word Messiah would not have had any meaning, right? They, They were not Jewish people who were waiting for the Messiah to come or waiting for the hope of Israel to come. And so in their sharing of the gospel, they used words like the Lord Jesus. They probably used words like the Savior. These were words that they understood. These were concepts that had meaning to them. They were longing for a Savior, and they weren't finding a Savior in all the pantheon of the Roman gods that they were worshiping. And so they began to share with them about a Lord and about a Savior, and they believed and they responded. And church, we need to do the same thing today. We need to think about how we share the gospel, and we need to do it in an understandable way. You know, increasingly in our culture, people have not grown up in church. They, they don't know who Abraham is. They don't know who Noah is. They don't know who Moses is. And sometimes when we begin to share about Jesus, we load it up with so much churchy language that people don't understand. And we put a barrier and a roadblock between people who need Jesus and the Savior. And we need to share the gospel in a simple way, a message of hope that everybody needs to hear and everybody needs to respond to. One more thing I see about the way they shared the gospel just before we move on is that they didn't care if anybody knew their name as long as they knew Jesus' name. I love, love, love that we don't know even one of the names of these people who did this. 
All we know are the two cities they came from, right? That's, that's all we know. And then after that, it just refers to them as they, right? They and them. So, so they, these unnamed believers, uh, literally have changed the world. They, they broke down this huge wall, this huge barrier that existed between Jews and Gentiles. It's because of them that this first international church made up of Jews and Gentiles was formed, and yet we don't even know who they were, but they didn't care about that. They just wanted people to know the name of Jesus. And you know what? If we have that same kind of heart, if we'll be a people who will just care about people knowing the name of Jesus and we don't care whether they know our name, they don't care whether we know our church's name, all we care is that they know Jesus, God still works in a mighty way through people who have a heart like that. Church at Antioch was a missional church, first of all, because they were a gospel-sharing church, but secondly, because they were a teaching church or a discipling church. They were not just a church where people got saved. They were a church where people grew in their walk with the Lord. They were a church where people were taught how to mature as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's so important today. The need of the hour today in America is for more teaching churches where people will grow as disciples of Christ. In verse 22, we read that the news of these things came to the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And the news of what things? Well, the news of what was happening in Antioch, that all these Gentiles were getting saved left and right and were being added to the church. And so just like the apostles did in chapter 8, when they heard about the revival that was happening in Samaria and they sent Peter and John to kind of investigate it and make sure everything was legitimate, was taking place, was healthy, they did the same thing here. They decided to send a representative to check on what was happening at this church at Antioch. And they chose as their representative a man we've read about before, a man named Barnabas. Now we've said before, Barnabas was actually his nickname. It was a name that was given to him. And the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas was an encourager. Everywhere you see him in the book of Acts, he's encouraging other Christians And certainly it was the Lord's sovereign will that Barnabas was the person selected to be sent to Antioch. And you'll see that for several reasons. First off, he didn't come with a critical spirit. He didn't come and say, well, you know, hey, I'm not really sure about what's happening here. And uh, how how is this going to work? How how are Jews and Gentiles going to be able to be the same part of, you know, the same church? He didn't come and pour cold water on what the spirit of God was doing. You know, there's too many Christians today who think they're a part of the cold water brigade, right? That your, your job is to pour cold water on everything that God is doing. That, that's not the heart that, that, that Barnabas had. He came not with a critical spirit. He came to encourage them. Well, look at what verse 23 says. It says, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. I love the way that's worded. He saw the grace of God. He saw that this was the grace of God on display. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, here in my office, I went into my office one day and and on my desk, uh, someone had left like a half rotten banana uh, lying on my desk. And, And I looked at it and I looked a little closer and there was writing on it. It had been written on with a black Sharpie. And when I picked it up, I saw that it was a joke. I mean, it was kind of a corny joke, but it was a joke about a banana written on a banana on my desk. And, and when I saw that, I'm going to tell you, it took me all of about two seconds to know who left that banana on my desk. 
Because I said, the only person who works here at the church, the only person on our staff who would have done this is our connections pastor, Scott Terry. And, and I didn't even ask him about it for two weeks. I just asked him this morning, right before I came in here, just to double check. I said, was that you who left the banana? And he laughed and said, yeah, that was me. But I knew it. I knew it right away because when I saw it, I knew it was him because it had all the fingerprints of Scott Terry on it. I think that's the same thing that happened to Barnabas. Barnabas came to Antioch. He began to see what was going on. He began to see Gentiles getting saved, people being added to the church, the church becoming more diverse, all kinds of people becoming part of the family of God. And he knew right away, this has the fingerprint of God on it. That this is the grace of my God that is on display. Only God could do something like this. And so Barnabas wasn't critical about it. He was excited about it. And he encouraged them to keep on persevering, to keep following Jesus, serving Jesus, sharing about Jesus. And when they did that, verse 24 says that even more people got saved. The church continued to grow. In fact, it grew so much that Barnabas realized the work was getting too big for him. Pastor Kent Hughes conjectured that maybe one night, uh, Barnabas, after a too busy week of ministry, was lying down on his bed and began to feel overwhelmed and burdened by the number of new believers that were under his care that he had to disciple. And he realized he needed help. And maybe all of a sudden, he remembered a name of someone from years before that he had helped introduce to the Jerusalem church, the one who was a former terrorist of the church and had gotten saved in a dramatic way on the road to Damascus, the man Saul that we know as the Apostle Paul. And he thought to himself, that's who I need to go get. I need to go get Saul. Again, Saul that we know as Paul was a perfect fit for this work. He was a Jew by birth, but he was immersed in Greek culture and Greek language. He was a Roman citizen on the road to Damascus, God had told him that he was going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So he was called to do this work, even though it had presumably been years since Barnabas had seen uh, Paul. He travels all the way to his hometown of Tarsus to find him. Some indication in scripture he had a little bit of trouble finding him, but finally he did. And he brought him back to Antioch. And the two of them worked together for the next year, discipling the new believers who were in this church. And, and we won't spend long here, but I do just want to point out that Barnabas went and got somebody who had greater gifts than his own. He went and brought somebody who very quickly would take on the preeminent role in what was happening in Antioch. And, you know, when they later were sent out as a missionary team, you know, we don't refer to them as Barnabas and Paul. We refer to them as Paul and Barnabas. And yet Barnabas could care less about that. Because what Barnabas cared about was serving the Lord and serving people, not who got the credit for the work that was done. Together, Paul and Barnabas spent a year there. Listen to what it says in verse 26 about their ministry. When he had found him, had found Saul or Paul, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. What a blessed church this was to have the Apostle Paul and Barnabas as two of their main teachers, investing in them, discipling them for a whole year. And I love how verse 26 describes their ministry. It says they taught a great many people. 
We've said our mission as a church is to be a disciple-making church, right? That's our, that's our mission. We want to make disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. But we need to understand that a discipling church is a teaching church. It's not a place where our effort is just to get huge crowds of people together so we can say we had all these people together. Our goal is not to make attenders. Our goal isn't even just to make converts who will remain baby Christians for the rest of their life. Our goal is to make disciples, those who are fully committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our goal is to see people trust in Christ, but then grow in Christ as they follow him with their lives. And that doesn't happen if all we do is entertain. That doesn't happen if all we do is have events. That only happens if we teach. And that's what we want our services to be about as we gather in this place, teaching and learning together the Word of God. That's what we want our small groups to be about, centered on learning the Word of God as we teach one another, because we won't be a missional church like the church at Antioch was. We won't have the impact on the world that the church at Antioch had on their world unless we're always teaching, always growing as disciples of Jesus. Here's a third quality that I see of missional churches and this church in Antioch in particular. You see it especially at the end of the passage, verses 27 to 30. This church was a giving church, a giving church. Verses 27 and 28 mentions a prophet named Agabus who came and delivered a message to the church at Antioch. You know, along with the 12 apostles, there was another group of leaders in the early church known as the prophets. Paul said in Ephesians 2 that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And some of the prophets, uh, like Agabus, were enabled by the Lord to speak about future coming events. In fact, Agabus later in the book of Acts gives a prophecy about something that was going to happen in Paul's life. Well, here he gives a prophecy about a great famine that was going to come. Historians tell us that this famine did, in fact, occur during the reign of uh, the Roman Emperor Claudius. It happened in about A.D. 47. The reason it happened was because of flooding in Egypt, which destroyed their crops, and Egypt was like the breadbasket of the ancient world. And so that food shortage spread, and it spread all the way to Israel. And so the church at Antioch heard that this was coming before it happened, and look at what they did after they heard it. Look at verse 29. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. You know what's amazing to me? is that they had no way of knowing, based on what they heard from Agabus, that this famine wasn't going to impact them every bit as much as it was going to impact the church in Judea and in Jerusalem. And so if you and I had heard that, right? Think about that. If we had heard there's a great famine coming, our first instinct, our first reaction might have been to start hoarding stuff, right? Hoarding supplies, hoarding food, hoarding money, so that we would be able to get through that great famine that was coming. How amazing is it that their first response to hearing that a great famine was coming was not to hoard supplies for themselves, but it was to take up an offering and to give it away so that the church in Jerusalem could be better prepared for the famine that was going to come. This, this is amazing. And what this church did here, giving, taking up an offering for a church 300 miles away is something that is so rare today. So often churches only think about their own and what's happening right inside their own walls and don't think about the needs of other congregations that are outside of them. I'm so thankful though that this church is very much like 
the church of Antioch in this regard. Um, church, you have a history of doing exactly this. Uh, I know Brother Larry is here and Miss Gale in this service, and one of my favorite stories from the 25-year history of uh, Brother Larry, our pastor emeritus during his time pastoring here, was uh, in right around 2000 in the late 90s when we were, we were actually having a building fund uh, to, to be able to purchase this property that this church is on, to be able to build this building that we're worshiping in today. And right at that time, the Lord put it on our heart and other churches' heart to help plant a church in Vieira that today is called the Church at Vieira. And in the middle of our building campaign, this church voted to give away $100,000 out of our building fund to give to the church at Vieira to help them purchase the land where they built their church. And isn't it amazing to see what God has done in the 20 years or so that the church at Vieira has been there and the thousands and thousands of people who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, in part because of that sacrifice. What an amazing legacy that is. And church, I want you to know you're, you're still blessing other churches even today. I know many of you may not know it, but uh, our church has, has been helping another church for the last year. A church in uh, Grant called Calvary Baptist has been without a pastor since last December. And every Sunday since last December, uh, someone from this church has been there to fill their pulpit, to preach the word of God to them, to help in other ways. You continue to be a blessing to other churches, and you continue to be a blessing to other people. In the midst of the pandemic, when we weren't even able to have services, it amazed me that people would come and, and just began to give above and beyond their tithe. They began to give to our benevolence fund. Our benevolence fund is, is 100% to help people who are in the community that come to our church in, in need. And what's amazing about that is we didn't even ask you to do that. The, the Spirit of God just began to put that on people's hearts. You began to think, you know what, I know some people are going to be out of work because of this. And so I want to go ahead and give so that the church is prepared to help people that might need it during this year. And, and you know what, a lot of people have come every week who have needed that help. And so we've been able to use that to, to bless many, many people. And some of them, including one person just the week before last, came to our church in need of help. We helped them. We also shared about Jesus with them. And they came to know Jesus as their Savior here in the office that day. We can praise the Lord to, for that together. But, but this is what a missional church does. A missional church wants to be a blessing to others, to other churches, to other people, because we know we can never outgive the grace that God has already given to us. Very quickly, I want you to jump over to chapter 13. Just a couple chapters to the right where this church at Antioch shows up again. Because I want you to see not only were they a gospel sharing church, not only were they a teaching church, not only were they a giving church, they were also a sending church church. Look at how chapter 13 begins with me. The word says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now just, just pause there for just a minute. We said that this was an international church that was reaching all kinds of different people. And what's amazing to see is that the different kinds of people they were reaching are reflected in the leadership of this church. These five leaders of this church, many people have pointed out, were all from different places all over the world. They had different skin colors. They had different backgrounds, but they'd all been saved by the same Savior. And it's amazing to see that. This is a beautiful picture of what the church should be. But now look at what happens next. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, 
the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now we won't spend long here, and we're going to come back to Acts 13, of course, as we continue to work our way through the book of Acts. But, but as we're thinking today about what makes this church at Antioch so special, I don't want us to miss this. God told them to send two of their five main leaders away. Again, they had the Apostle Paul there teaching them the scriptures. How would you like to send the Apostle Paul away someplace else? Right? If we had the Apostle Paul, we'd probably want to keep the Apostle Paul. But the Lord told him to send Paul. The Lord told him to send Barnabas, this great encourager in the life of the church. He told him to send both of those guys away someplace else. And they said, yes. This would be like God calling us to send two of our pastors away to go and plant a church someplace else. This would be difficult to do, and yet that's what this church did. They were willing to be sent, and they were willing to send because they knew they had been sent out on a mission from God. They, they, they knew, to quote from J.D. Greer, that we actually in the church gain by losing. That in God's calculus, we become richer when we become poorer. That we grow when we are willing to shrink. That we acquire more when we're willing to send out our very best. And church, this is something that we're going to have to do. If we're going to be able to fulfill the vision God has given us of planting one church every year starting next year. This is not rhetorical. This is not something that's in concept. This is a reality. We'll either be willing to send or we won't. We'll either be willing to be sent out for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, or we will not. And unless we're willing to be like the church of Antioch, to be sent out for the wider purposes of the kingdom of God, then we won't be able to be used the way that they were used. That's why this church is such a good church for us to emulate. And so for all of these reasons, here's number five. This missional church at Antioch was a world-changing church. I know we use that term, you know, it's almost become trite, right? World changing. We're going to change the world. But, but this church literally changed the world. I mean, this church is the reason why we are here today. The effects of this church and what they did are being felt 2,000 years later in Melbourne, Florida. I want to share again, just to kind of recap the ground we've covered. Here's why this church changed the world. First off, they were the first church in the world to have both Jews and Gentiles in it. So when you think of Antioch, think about that. Only a few Gentiles had been saved at this point. But now, a lot of them were being saved. And now there was a church somewhere in the world that had Jews and Gentiles who were both a part of it. They, 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 were, they were showing in living color what Paul wrote about later in Galatians 3. That when we are in Christ, we are one in Christ. That we are neither Jew nor Greek. We're neither slave nor free. We're neither male nor female, but we're one because of the Lord Jesus. This was the first church to actually live that out. Secondly, this church was the first church to send out missionaries to other nations. And so when we give to missions like we're going to do in December to the Lottie Moon International Missions, when, when we take short-term mission trips, when we commission people to go out as career missionaries and church planners, which we have done and we will do, Lord willing, when we do that, we are following in the path of the church at Antioch. They were the first church to embrace foreign missions, to send out missionaries all over the world. And then lastly, something we more or less skipped over earlier, but this is the first church where 
believers were called Christians. Look at the end of verse 26 with me again. It says, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The name Christian wasn't a name they gave to themselves. It says they were called Christians. They, they wouldn't have dared to take that name on themselves. It was a name that was given to them, and it was given to them by the pagans who were living in Antioch. And it wasn't given to them at first as a compliment. It, it was given to them as an insult. It was given to them as people who wouldn't stop talking about this Christ, people who were the Christ people. And so they meant it as a smear, but today we take it, of course, as a badge of honor. I came across the story about the famous general Alexander the Great who discovered that someone in his army was named after him. He had the name Alexander, and yet this particular soldier was a known, notorious coward. And so Alexander the Great, who, as you know, had conquered the whole known world by the time he was 23 years old, didn't really have a great tolerance for cowards. And so he called this soldier over to himself, and he said, young man, I understand that you were named Alexander. Were you named Alexander for me? And the man trembling said, yes, sir, I'm named Alexander, and I was named that for you. The general then said, then either be brave or change your name. You know, the trembling soldier wasn't worthy to bear the name Alexander. Of course, we know that none of us, none of us in this room, or anyone in the world for that matter, are worthy on our own to bear the name of Christ. And yet, by God's grace, we are called by his beautiful, wonderful, powerful name. Let's pray that God would help us to live more and more like the one we are named for. That we would live like Christians, which means little Christ. Let's live and love so much like him that as the song says, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Let's live like Christians as individuals, but also as a church. Let's live in Melbourne like Christians together. Let's be a missional church like the church in Antioch was. Let's be a gospel-sharing church. Let's be a teaching church. Let's be a giving church. Let's be a sending church. And by God's grace, let's be a world-changing church together together. Let's give our lives, let's pour our lives out to take the limitless gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you that because of that grace, we are able to bear the name of Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to live like those who are called by your name. Like these did in Antioch so many years ago. Father, would you help us? Father, help us to be a church that shares the good news of Jesus with everyone, no matter who they are. Help us to be a church committed to teaching, to growing together as disciples. Help us to be a giving church, a sacrificially giving church that would give to bless others, to bless other congregations, to bless mission work around the world. 
Father, we pray we'd be a sending church. Be willing to send out and be sent for the sake of the gospel. Father, we pray your name would be magnified in Melbourne, that many people would turn to the Lord, would come to know you in part because of this church living missionally every day. Father, I pray for any in this room that don't know you as Savior and Lord, any who are listening right now, I pray that even now they would cry out to the one who is Lord, the one who is Savior, Jesus Christ. The only name that saves. Father, use us, use this church, we pray, for your glory. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.